Welcome back to Delta Waterfowl's The Voice of the Duck Hunter podcast. On today's episode, I sat down with Sean Weaver, Marketing Manager for Lucky Duck. Sean and I covered a wide range of topics, including discussions on the pros and cons of the increased use of technology in hunting, the challenge of marketing products that appeal to both avid and new hunters, and some advice on how to successfully harvest geese with spinning wing decoys in your spread. With that introduction, let's welcome Sean to the podcast. Sean Weaver, welcome back to the Delta Waterfall Podcast. Hey, Joel. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. I'm getting to see all my friends. Right on. Well, that's uh, you're quite the duck hunter, quite the reputation as a duck hunter, so I'd imagine you'd fit in really well in this spot. It's so fun for me to, you know, I mean, we all live all over the country, right? And we're all scattered around. And then last year, this expo was... I mean, for first year, none of us knew what to expect, and it was instantly like, oh, we got to gather all the people I like, all the people I want to talk to, all the people I want to hang out with in one place, and I had a freaking blast here last year, and then this year, it's even more banging. I mean, it's hopping today. Yeah. Like, hopping. Can't really, I mean, earlier, I stood in line for... 40 minutes to get a walking taco because there's that many people here that's great it, yeah it is it is a pinch me moment it is a saturday but i just feel like there's a lot more people for a saturday and but it is interesting like you said like especially for you in the product industry outdoor media product industry yep yeah these are this is probably where you see a lot of your friends all my friends yeah i mean so many friends like Yesterday, I stood with Scott Trinan from Molt Gear, and we stood over by the Yeti booth and talked for, we probably talked for hour and 15 minutes about, like, video projects and ideas and cool, like, videos and content to make, and, I mean, that, like, when, when you live halfway across the country from each other, like, how often is that conversation going to happen, no, right? No, It's only when you get to all get collected in one place... And just, like, organically interact and have those conversations that all of a sudden Scott's like, hey, I've got this idea. Or, you know, whoever it is, not just Scott, everybody. Yeah. So, Sean, you're the marketing... Marketing manager at Lucky Duck. Marketing manager at Lucky Duck. Yep. 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 Are you still living in South Dakota? I'm actually in Montana right now. You're in Montana now. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I'll stay. (laughs) It's expensive as I'll get out nowadays. But, I, I mean, I like it. Montana's cool. This year's been really interesting. I've really liked Montana as far as, like, ducks go this year. Um, seeing the grasslands so wet. I mean, the the prairie of, like, Montana and Wyoming this mm-hmm. year is wet, wet. And there's broods everywhere. Really? Oh, yeah. And I got some pretty cool photos of cinnamon teal um, and, you know, other... All, all kinds, widgeon, everybody, everybody's out there this year. But uh, Montana's good, but it's expensive, so I might keep bouncing around. Might go back to South Dakota. I don't know, but hey. But you're, I guess let's let's take this opportunity just to just to refresh. You've been on the podcast yep. before, but I wish I I don't remember what number that was. Otherwise, I'd tell people to go there. But it was a prior episode. Yeah. But but I, you know, why don't you just share a little bit about your background, where you're from? Yep. You know, the maybe the role that hunting has played in your life and your upbringing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I started off being a hunting guide, right? As I well, I grew up in Iowa, and not the best place to be a duck hunter. Not the worst, but not the best by right. any stretch. 
central Iowa too, so I didn't even have the advantage of like the Mississippi or the Missouri and living on the coast, as it were. And, um, you know, growing up in central Iowa, duck hunting was rough, duck hunting was tough, and I, but I fell in love with it all the same. Mm -hmm. And so moved to South Dakota to go to college, ended up becoming a hunting guide while in college, which then I started filming my hunts with clients in college, which then did really well on Facebook at the time was like the video, I mean, YouTube was a video platform, but Facebook was still a really good video platform at the time. And so videos took off on Facebook and then I, you know, kind of had this like, oh, I could probably make money and make a living doing video work just the same as, um, you know, just the same as, as guiding and, so, so then I started filming more stuff, started my production company, which ultimately led to, you know, working for all kinds of brands, Cabela's, Bass Pro, you know, the Grindwater File TV, eventually Meat Eater and First Light produced and hosted Duck Lore for Meat Eater, um, and then now working for Lucky Duck. And so it's, t- it's taken me all over. It's taken me working for all kinds of cool people, cool businesses, and... And also getting to, you know, the the best part for me, the most the the most fun part for me, is the storytelling aspect of getting to bring people I like um, to the public purview, to the eye of the public more, um, you know, and and really, you know, like when we did an episode of Duck Lore with with Matt Matt Chenard from Delta, and get to both entertain and educate at the same time and so with lucky duck uh my role my my official title is marketing manager but i'll be doing a lot of content stuff with lucky duck as well okay yep. i think ricky told me that you're going to be one of the hosts on the grind yep. waterfall tv yes sir yep yeah which you know and and part of that yeah i mean that's a great example of like um it's it's easy to you know th- this is such an interesting industry because ultimately it's a very small industry product wise right i mean don't get me wrong we have a lot of vendors here and a lot of people here to show cool products and unique technologies but ultimately they they're still small businesses right lucky duck i mean we're small business by all standards and um, it, so it's easy to fall into kind of like doing the same thing video-wise, content-wise, sure. and, you know, just moving product, making, making TV that helps showcase some products, get some footage of new products. And don't get me wrong, that's important. We got to do that. It's part of our job is to get product footage and do that. Uh, you know, do that storytelling a little bit, but really make sure we move the product and show the product. But I want to take it farther than that, right? I really think yeah. we get, need to grow the pie and make the content and make the shows more engaging to more people so that we can show people that aren't waterfowlers how cool all this is. Um, and waterfowlers the same, right? So, you know, working with you, I wasn't on the show, but we've discussed it at, at 
Yeah. And a lot of depth and one of my coworkers. Yep. As you mentioned, Matt Chenard was on that show. But yep. I, I, this is a compliment. Trust me, this is not a backhanded compliment. It's a compliment. I see you as a tortured artist in yeah. the sense that you put a lot of thought into the shots. You put a lot of thought into the message and the theme. And, you know, you bring depth to that. You Thank really you. do. Is I that... appreciate that. No, I definitely, 100%, I feel like a tortured artist. I really do. I have, I have a rolling document on my laptop called Ideas Throw Up. That is just all the ideas of stories to tell and things I want to show people and, and things I want to talk about. And just, it's just a brain dump on there and it's like 62 pages long it's ridiculous and i really you know i i have to play this game as a marketing manager and also someone that wants to make cool stories you know i don't have a limitless budget out there i'm not part of hollywood right like i you know i have constraints to my job but ultimately i am a tortured artist and i do want to just like really dive deep into the outdoors why i love the outdoors why we all love the outdoors why the hell we like just seeing a duck i don't go anywhere and not see a slew and feel a little tug on my heartstring mm-hmm. just seeing cattails and most of the world doesn't feel that way most most human beings do not see cattails and water in combination and get like this like little yank on their heart and it's only once you understand the value of that slew and understand the value of that environment and understand what comes of that slew and then also have maybe nostalgia of being in that slew that that then really drives you to like have that heart tug from it. And the more as a artist, as a creator, as a writer, that I can find ways to represent that to people that don't have that, while also not going totally broke or living in a van. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like actually and have you know, have a job, have someone that can help finance those ideas, have people that can help me bring those ideas to light. Um, which in our industry is usually through some combination of product oriented companies that see a you know, they see a profit that can come from these ideas. Nonprofits like Delta that see a benefit of membership and conservation in tandem from it. And so it's, yeah, it's like this kind of navigating that while also maintaining my artistic side. Yeah, I mean, creating outdoor television is not cheap. Yeah, there's the advertising, but look at all the inputs into that. And so, oh, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So it's storytelling. Is while what you placing want a product, be. correct? Yeah, and and what a challenge! I, it's I have I have kind of two things. I'm afraid I'm going to forget one of them because that's that's what happens to me. But oh, I get it. You, you said that you know you how can you you know you drive by you're driving down the road and you see the cattails. Yes. It could just be a little tuft of cattails, yep. but you see it. Yep. And you see the ducks. You see things, and we all have blind spots in our life. There's things that are happening around us that all the time, and we just don't even notice them. But it's kind of a funny story. My my father-in-law of, I guess I've been married to my wife almost 20 years, but he's an awesome guy. He's like a dad to me. Yeah. But he is retired, but he worked for the highway department out in rural North Dakota. And I thought, oh, man, this is a guy who's driving around 
all duck season, yeah. all goose season, and huh. he's going to find me so many spots. So I call him up, and I'm like, hey, Mike, tell me where you saw a good mallard feed. Tell me where you saw a good goose feed. And he's like, I don't know. Like, he's not a waterfowl yeah, hunter, so he's just blind to it. it. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. But I tried to, to train his uh-huh. mind, and but that's all right. I, I would rather have his... Uh, He's a good man. I'd rather have that over yeah, a but, few but good Yeah, but no, but it's a, gr- it's a great example, though, of, like, it's, we really only, no, I shouldn't say only, we are much more likely to observe something that we already have perceived value in. Yeah. Right? We're much more likely to notice a cattail slough or notice a... Um, culvert running under a road that's got a nice little tail race behind it that's a good spot for catching spring walleyes or whatever it is. We're much more likely to notice that if we already have that perceived value. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's something that we as, uh, like me as both a artist and a marketer and playing this kind of always teeter-tottering tandem game between, uh, you know, if I had $100 million tomorrow... Yeah, I would just go tell waterfowl stories. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't care at all about the product side of things. Right. But I don't. So so I play the game. I have to kind of do this teeter-totter of, of balancing them both. Well, yeah, you know I've had many discussions, many more to come. But, you know, some of the discussions we've had are about what is the future of hunting yeah. in general? Like, are we going to – will society allow it, support it? Will we have enough – in our ranks to fight off the opposition, but we have enough on our ranks to fund conservation, and that's something that you know we yeah. talk a fair bit about. But, but if if you, and this is a challenge, I'm putting myself in your shoes, Lucky Duck shoes. It's the avid hunter who is consuming your products, but the avid hunter isn't enough to secure the future of hunting because hunters are declining every year. So we need to bring right. those new people to the ranks. So on one hand, you could view them as a new, a new product, you know, a, new folks to to buy the product. But when you're approaching marketing materials, yeah, with your job, shows, commercials, yeah, uh, shorts on Instagram or reels yep. on Instagram, that's a challenge to to find oh, yeah. to appeal to the avid and the I think I want to do that. What what's your yeah? Thoughts oh, on that? it's so hard because I th- so this is and this is where my college background of economics comes into play is that I'm always trying to fixate and focus on how to grow the pie rather than fight over pieces of the pie yeah. right sure we as um, we as lucky duck can and will always compete with mojo on spinning wing decoys right but ultimately like do we benefit more from fighting over the 1 million hunters, 1 million duck hunters that exist right now on that piece of the pie, or do we benefit more from growing it to 5 million duck hunters? I like <laughs> we, that one. I like that one. I yeah. like that one way more. And so now it's a it's a far riskier proposition business-wise. It's a far harder and more challenging proposition. And, uh, you know, the safe play... The safe play is to vie for a piece of the pie and see how much of the pie you can get. But it's a way long term, both for the business, both for hunters, both for conservation. 
for all of the above, it, to me it is a much more beautiful end goal to just grow the pie and see how many more hunters and how many more ducks we can ultimately create. You know, I say this all the time. I actually said it when I was talking on stage earlier. If, you know, it's, I, and I was talking actually, or at the moment I was just referencing like that some people don't like spinning wing decoys, right? Some people look at spinning wing decoys and they say, well, they educate ducks. They make them harder sure. to shoot. And I, I understand it on some level. Um, but my point was, you know, hunters right now are kind of doing this infighting thing a little bit on some level where we say, oh, I don't want them to use ice eaters because, you know, then the ducks don't migrate past them or right. they... I don't want them using spinners. They educate more ducks. Or I don't want, right, X, Y, Z, trail cameras, you name it, all these things. And ultimately, um, my my point was, but if there's 250 million ducks in North America, none of us would be ar- right. none of us would be arguing. Yeah, none of us would worry about uh, if someone uses an ice eater or not. If there's 250 million ducks in North America, so how can we? accomplish that goal how can we instead of fighting over the pieces of the 50 million ducks more or less that come down the flyway um instead of fighting over how many of those 50 million our state gets or our area gets or our region gets how can we focus on growing it to 250 million ducks coming down Every, I love it. I love fall. it. You're you're a bigger pie guy. Yeah. Yeah, you have to live in the moment. You have to pay the bills and of course. and and maintain and grow the brand but but yeah you don't want to be the captain going down with the ship either no you know correct. so and, how and do we you know eternally looking for a lifeline and, and frankly in the hunting community it's making new hunters it really is yes it is and you know I, I think that um you know something that we at lucky duck as far as that growing the pie um you know, something that I'm focused on or we're focused on as a team is, uh, okay, uh, our, our Lucky Duck kennels, for example, right? Um, right now we sell them to duck hunters, but we can do far more business there yeah. if we just sell them to all pet owners. And then ultimately we can actually bring in pet owners into a hunting brand just via a kennel. And then they can all of a sudden learn a little bit more about hunting. They can at least be in proximity to a hunting brand. Same with our predator calls. Um, there's not that many people that are going to actually go out there and coyote hunt. Right. There's really not that many of them. Um, but there's practically every county in America, or a ton of them, you know, the vast majority of them, have raccoons. So can we bring, can we bring people into the fold of, well, here's how you call a raccoon in. And just show people that. Well, we get far more impressions online showing raccoon videos than coyote videos. We get far more, like, virality and interest from that. And and it just goes to show that's how we can go really grow the pie. You know, my end game is that every, every closet in America has a Lucky Duck Revolt in it because, because there's so many things you can do with it. Yeah. Right? And, and then... You know, bring people in at the edges of hunting first and then slowly work them down the funnel to, to where I am, which is like this hyper-obsessed duck hunter. That <laughs> Yeah. You, know? you, you, you put a, I feel like a musky, you put a bright, shiny object in front of me. I want to strike at it. Have you, have you personally 
hunted raccoons with a call before? Yes, and it's nuts. Yeah, it, it, I've seen some of the footage, and it it looks like it can become quite intimate. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I have a video of Max Barta, who um, filmed with me for many years. I have video of a raccoon legitimately running over his legs as, like, full-on right across his legs. <laughs> uh, got, I mean, we have... We have a ton of footage of the raccoon calling stuff, and it's 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 wild, and it works, and it's a way to really, really shoot and and take some raccoons um, off the landscape in the spring. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. Before we went on the air, you know, we we're just kind of shooting the breeze a little bit, and and I do want to give you an opportunity to 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 voice a a perspective that you shared with me. You also said that. Well, I'm going to paraphrase. Hunt, hunters tend to infight a little yeah. bit. You know, compound archers versus yes, recurve. That's, that's the best example. And, oh, and you shoot a uh, crossbow, and I don't know how I feel about that. And, well, at the end of the day, it's all hunting, and there's shades of challenge and, and technique and uh, struggle. But, but let's just say there, I would say that there is a divide. In yeah. Pro-technology, and maybe not anti-technology, because I would... Other than, you know, someone who's doing rendezvous reenactments, you know, I think everyone is using some form of technology or, you know, modern rifles, yeah. rifle scopes, range finders. I think in the duck world, the technology is largely motion. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, you have a, you had a, you had a good, interesting perspective on, on, I guess, a pro technology. Yeah. So, I'll, so I'll make that, I'll make that case. So. My thing ultimately is in every aspect of our modern day lives, we all benefit from technology in one way, whether you've benefited from increased diesel technologies that allow your groceries to get to the supermarket or railroads or, you know, you name it. I mean, in the 1830s, uh, you know, in the 1830s, they built a 17 mile long railroad from like a little bit more interior South Carolina out to the port of Charleston and everyone was mad about them building this railroad because it was going to ruin the canal business sure and it was gonna and even the local pastors all said it was sacrilegious and <laughs> to have a railroad and because there's this whole new technology it was the first steam locomotive ever in the United States and uh, made in the United States and ultimately if we had stopped right there and said, no more technology, yeah, probably none of us would be here in Little Rock right no. now. If we'd stopped right there and said, no railroads, wagons and horses and, and boats are enough. And so, so ultimately my point is that we all benefit a lot from technology. We all use technology on the daily. We've all lived a much more comfortable, advanced life sure there's negatives to some technology i'm not negating the negatives of technology you can use your phone for both good and bad you can sit and argue with people all day on twitter and get fired from your job because you were never off twitter and or on the flip side you can use it for what it is which is it's the library of alexandria in your pocket right yeah i mean you have access to more information than the world has ever known and so it's both good and bad my my case is simply that technology and hunting or just technology in the outdoors is if we 
um, if we use it for good and we focus on the goods of it and rather than vie for a, you know, vie for pieces of the pie, but just overall say, how can we use technology to make more ducks, to make better hunting for more people, mm-hmm. to make hunting cheaper and more accessible yeah. for more people? You know, um, you look at England where hunting is a game for the rich and access to hunting is hard mm-hmm. versus here where there's lots of technology and lots of free market capitalism that has ultimately created cheap decoys, cheap gasoline, cheap shotgun shells, cheap shotguns that make hunting way more accessible here be- than anywhere else in the world because we've allowed technology to flourish and expand and capitalism and technology in tandem to work and expand um you know, expand our access to hunting goods and, and then, you know, um, hopefully hunting. And so, so my, 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 I guess, argument or perspective is, um, rather than us fighting over technologies or fighting over trying to restrict one, one another and say, I don't want you to do that, or I don't think you should do that. Uh, we should be focusing way more energy Rather than, you know, uh, this is a hot-button issue, but rather than fight over, um, I don't think he should be able to flood corn or use ice eaters or X, Y, Z, quit focusing our energy on that, let the technology prosper, let the, the free market system continue to prosper in the outdoors, and instead focus on our energy of how can we grow the pie make more ducks and make more hunters how can we make hunting cheaper and more accessible to more people so that we can ultimately draw them into the family yeah i agree with you in the hunter recruitment or r3 world we routinely talk about barriers to entry so let's identify them and let's remove them if possible some you can some you can't right right and so i think you're kind of making a case there that so if someone is interested in hunting and from the outside, they're looking at it as yeah. intimidating that technology is a familiar term, a familiar concept in today's world about, oh, if I use that, maybe it'll make it a little bit easier for me. And I do think that's where the infighting happens. Correct. It's like, well, I'm a traditionalist. I don't want that. I that don't is want where that. the infighting happens. Yeah. And, and I, and I kind of say to each their own. For sure. Up until a point. And you and I are still agreeing. It's just that... so. Modern, regulated hunting does not harm the health of wildlife populations. Hunting is good for wildlife. Yeah. Managed, well-regulated hunting. But where technology, you know, some people look at technology as one conversation, regulations as another. Yeah. Well, if my limit is six and technology helps me get my six, why is that a bad thing? It's not necessarily, except that if technology is increasing the harvest rate of a species, because back, you know, when when number of deer licenses are issued, yeah, they're not expecting every one of those to be filled. But right. if there was some tech, you know, so basically, it's say, okay, if harvest rates, I'm just going to pick a number. We issue 100 tags. We expect 50 of them to be killed. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, but all of a sudden, if some piece of technology came in, issue 100 tags, 90 of them get filled. That 90 harvested might not be healthy for the population. So no, that's where... That's, that's totally fair. And I, I definitely see your point and hear your point on that. And I don't, I don't 
Um, I guess my, my thing there is that I think that you, you then see maybe a short-term problem for a long-term solution. So, like waterfowling, we know the barrier to entries on waterfowling are, one, that it is the most expensive of yeah. hunting, right? I mean, it's about as expensive as it gets. Waterfowlers just spend more money than pretty much any other group with the exception of, like, sheep hunters. Yeah. Um, so with waterfowling, like expense is a huge barrier to entry, but if you can have technologies that then make that barrier to entry cost much smaller, for example, my, like my argument is if you have Onyx and, uh, like some on the water motion decoys, sure. you can kill ducks and you can kill ducks in almost any state in the United States if you have those two tools. So all of a sudden now you have a super cheap shotgun, um, some decoys you picked up off Facebook Marketplace, uh, you know, a couple or a Lucky Duck and Onyx. You know, you're into it for under $1,000 versus most waterfowlers are in that four or five, six thousand $6,000 wrapped up in it range. And so, so that's ultimately my argument that, like, technology creating a cheaper barrier to entry can recruit and create new hunters. I do get your point on that um, shooting more wildlife is not part of the current model. But then... Well, it, it, I mean, it is or it isn't in the sense right. that, you know, this is where science comes in. Right. So if all of a yeah. sudden... So I just... I, everything in life has a choice. Yeah. And usually that choice doesn't end there. It usually results in another choice. So do you like technology? Yeah. I, I, mean, really no care. I don't really care what somebody's answer is. No, no such say, thing yes, I like it. Okay. Yeah. So if, if, if it results in an increased harvest yes. that is detrimental to the population, that doesn't mean you ban technology right. necessarily. It means that, okay, now harvest regulations have to become more conservative to accommodate that right. increased harvest. And but, you know, like with motion decoys, I remember a time where it's like, this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. Someone's going to kill all the ducks with right. these things. But then right. ducks. Right. And that's where, I come to the long, that. that's where I come to the long-term growth mentality versus the short-term problem. Like, yes, we do have a short-term, I would argue, a short-term problem right now of that um, you... There's a short-term problem right now of that there are absolutely positively birds that... Oh, okay. Actually, I'll use Kansas right now as a great example because it's relevant and of the moment. Um, Kansas right now wants to restrict non-resident hunters, right? And from coming and hunting public lands for X number of days a week. And they're saying it's because of a decreased quality of hunting for residents, which may or may not be true. Let's say it is true. Let's say their assessment of the situation is absolutely that there's too much hunting pressure in Kansas. Well, my argument would be then for me that the if the hunting has actually gotten that bad, then would the out-of-staters not quit coming? They would, they, yeah. they would not Plus, come yeah. as much. But And so that it ultimately, you know, it rides itself out in the longer term. But even more, my case would be, is that with the technologies we have, 
if they were better utilized, not even just better utilized, more utilized and more deployed and employed, such as um, GPS work, predator work, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, we know how to keep deer away from your hosses out in, in your yard, you know, <laughs> like, uh, how can we keep raccoons away from duck nests? How can we, how can we use all the technologies of the world that have, um, helped us in so many ways? How can we use those to make more ducks and make more duck hunters so that this Kansas problem isn't a problem? Right. Right. And, and grow focus, the pie. We're back to focus, growing the pie. Focus on the long-term growth of the pie via technology and capitalism uh, rather than this short-term, short-sighted protectionism that is seemingly a growing trend in the hunting industry. And it worries me. It worries me a lot because it's not, it's not an American ideal or a, uh, an American mentality to focus on like uh, the short-term protectionism infighting fight over pieces of the pie that's actually much more a honestly it's like a much more european ideal yeah and that's not what we're about and and so i feel like there's kind of this trend among some hunters to resort to what is ultimately to me kind of this european mentality rather than the american mentality of america at its core at its root was a place is a place that grows out of its problems. We grow through our problems. We don't, we don't try to like uh, contract from our problems and, and shrink from our problems. Yeah. We blow through them and we find a way to, honestly, find a way to kick our problems in the ass, right? And so um, to me, it's like, okay, the Kansas problem, um, our, our national wildlife refuges not having enough budget um, all these problems that are cropping up more and more and more and more and more every year. Um, and it seems like just keeping, you know, your organization so much busier every year with even lit, like, you know, what on their face are small things, but there's just so many more of them popping up like Swan Lake in Missouri, or then, you know, the Klamath problem. Um, it's like, okay, Klamath is an example of like, how can we Rather than all fight over smaller and smaller amounts of water, how can we make sure there's more water? How can we grow through this problem? And, you know, this year you saw the Klamath, um, for example, sending a ton more water downstream after a record snowpack. Yeah. And, rather, and, and so, so it comes back to that everyone was fighting over smaller, diminishing returns and diminishing pieces of the pie over the years instead of focusing on how can we all collectively as a group as um as a focused energy as an american energy grow the pie and so ultimately i come back to that i think tools like onyx that i think all of our email lists that i think youtube and tiktok and instagram and all these incredibly powerful tools and technologies we have how can we leverage them to the hilt? How can we as waterfowlers say, rather than just focus on selling, um, you know, another X number of 
spinners to X number of waterfowlers this year, how can we leverage all these tools and all this technology to say, to heck with 987,000 waterfowlers, we want to see 3 million. And we want to see them all be successful in the field. And we want to see them all using the library of Alexandria that is these phones yeah. to educate themselves, to understand that we're going to put more ducks on the prairie, which means more ducks in Kansas, which means we don't have to worry about out-of-staters or, you know, X, Y, Z. And so how, yeah. how can we leverage all of this tool and technology to better educate, better inform the masses and, all, and at the end of the day, you know, as you guys say it, put more ducks over decoys yeah i think i think so you know i i really appreciate this conversation sean it's it's uh yeah the the theme of grow the pie so we don't have to so it becomes easier to share but yeah. I, I i do think that you're right fighting over technology fighting over access fighting over resident non-resident i, I you know on, on one way i'd say hang on to your hat because there's going to be a lot more of it you know wow. i do think that you know the kansas issue which happened in Manitoba already. Yep, yep. You know, I think Arkansas to to a smaller degree, um, yep. but has some of those resident non uh, resident uh, yep. regulations. I, I just think hold on to your hat. More's coming. Yep. The pressures on the resource, pressures on access, pressures on the environment, and you know, just just adding more ducks. I wish it would fix it, but it you know, there, I think there's a lot of different pies. But you know, certainly life would be easier with a million new ducks every year, you know, yeah. through the million duck campaign, but, but yeah, access, sharing, removing those barriers to entry technology. I, I, I can see a role there. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, um, you know, it's the FDR quote. Um, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Right. It's like the being scared of not having enough ducks or not having enough access or that my season this year is going to be worse because so-and-so did X, Y, Z like that. We should be more scared of that mentality than we should be of the actual problems themselves. Right. Cause we can find our way through these problems. I, I mean, duck hunters have gone through far 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 more dire situations than we're in yeah. right now we have by all standard like by historical standards we have way better of a situation right now than we did in the 60s or the 30s or you know go down the list and and so i don't know i think that um at least from my from my capacity and my ability as a storyteller and as an artist and as a marketing manager at Lucky Duck, what I want to see is okay. How can I how can I make our Lucky Duck Predator call um, like the Revolt more accessible and more people understand how they can go hunt raccoons with that to then take raccoons off the landscape and in nesting areas. How can I, um, you know, make the, the use of phones and satellite imagery and Onyx and our spinning link decoys understandable and comprehensible to non-hunters or very new and novice hunters? Maybe, yeah. they're, maybe they're just people that have just whitetail hunted their whole life and they always saw 
way too big a barrier to entry into waterfowl because it's way too expensive. So how can I bring them into the fold? How can I say, hey, you don't, you know, you already have Onyx because you use it for your deer property, uh, but you can leverage it to go duck hunt and yeah. you can go shoot 10 ducks with your kids a year or, or what have, you know, what have you. Uh, how can I, as a marketer and as a storyteller, open it up and make it less intimidating to come be a duck hunter and engage in our world and then ultimately they become fans they become advocates they become donors and they you know they see how freaking cool those cattails are and when they start driving by cattails they get pumped about cattails and they want to see more cattails they want to see more nesting grounds they they all sudden get pumped when they see a wetland pop up in grass that no one else cares about, but yeah. we do, and and you know ultimately bring them down the funnel to them caring about wetlands and and even the science behind wetlands and and make more ducks. Do you see? I, I, does Lucky Duck currently have kind of how-to resources, or are you looking at creating some of them? Definitely creating more. Yeah, we we do have some how-to resources, but like. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I've even been part of those resources, but it, it is a retraining of the mind in a way to say, okay, how can we make this not just for a hunter? You know, I, I reference uh, Renella's, Steve Renella's um, how to field dress a deer video that's on YouTube. That's like 10 minutes and it's got I don't know, tens of millions of views, I think, or, you know, maybe, maybe not that many, but it's a lot. I mean, it's millions and millions of views and it's just very digestible, consumable, easy to watch content for people that are brand new to hunting. And all of a sudden they've, they've finally taken the step of going and Hmm. shooting a deer or experiencing that. And now they've got to figure out even just that step. What am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do do think it, it, I mean, I, I, again, I put myself in your shoes and I, I find that a very useful exercise, but yeah, you know, if you're focused on the money, you're focused on, on product sales, which you should be. Of That's course. your job. It's my job. You know, it, it seems like the obvious answer. You cater to the Abbott. Oh, buy yeah. mine. When, yeah. you're, when yours breaks, buy mine. Yeah. Here's the new one. Buy it. Sell your other one or add it to your spread. But yeah. it is hard to, uh, that, that is a, that's a new way of thinking is to, we'll keep going, to, to pull that just to, to think that you have to market to a novice or yeah. a newbie. Yeah, and, and and ultimately at its end, I do want to make money. I do want to sell products. I do want Lucky Duck to be successful. I just think we as a brand, and um, I, I can do my best. I can do my best in my job for... Lucky Duck and for hunting, but especially for Lucky Duck, if I focus on, if I focus on um, making just a bigger audience for Lucky Duck's products, and you know, um, not just sell Lucky Duck to the avid, die-hard, thirty days a year hunting waterfowlers. There's like ten thousand of them. Yeah, it's a you know of the of the million million two yeah it's a small percentage that that hunts to that extreme. I I did want to you know as maybe kind of as we start to to wrap up here at the end of the day I kind of I did want to 
geek out on one little yeah piece of technology. So you guys obviously have a line of of motion decoys, uh-huh. primarily ducks. I suppose they have some doves as well. Yeah, we got yeah dove, turkey, ducks, um, geese. Yeah, and then, a, and then a predator line. Predator line, and then our our kennels and too. the kennel. But the one so. Hey, every duck hunter who hunts in a field and has a motion decoy, here come the geese. Yes. Turn off the spinner. Yes. Right? And I, I've i yet to develop. I don't I don't have a... I try and I try and I try to think of what is the evolutionary reason why a Canada goose doesn't like that. And I don't really think I have a great thought on it. But I'm they wondering... They hate spinners. Well, they hate them. But, but, hate I, them. but I'm trying to figure... I try to come up with why. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I don't have a good reason. I've tried and tried and tried. I can't think of it. But... Canada geese are coming, turn that sucker off. Yep. If you're goosing, you don't even put it in out there in the first place. But the flapping Canada goose, is that different? Yeah, they like the flapping. They like goose. the flapping. Because it's... And then, and then we have our new spinner, the XHDI, um, this year, which always stops with the white side down on the wings, or it auto-corrects. So when the... Oh, it's kind of an oblong? Well, kind of so n- it's not weighted, because uh, we tried that. It fries the motor. Uh, you can't do the weighted wings. You ha- But it's got a... Its technology is ultimately that it's got a position that it has to correct back into and pretty much snap into. Okay. So when the wings stop, even if they do stop white side up every now and then, uh, the wings, the motor kicks them to their respective location and so the wings are always white side down black side up so when you turn the remote off and turn that spinner off you end up with um you know the matte side of the wings shown to the geese rather than the white shiny side of the wings shown that's to the geese. interesting and that's for the geese in particular that's i mean it, it you know it's a duck decoy but it's, but, I, but i mean but yes that adaptation that adaptation because guys i mean in general, guys hated seeing the white side of the wings up, but it, it's specifically that because, um, you know, uh, guys didn't put spinners out if they were focused on geese because okay. they didn't want to screw up their goose hunt. Gotcha. But now you, have at, now you have the opportunity to actually shoot some ducks while you're goose hunting and not worry about the spinner screwing up your goose hunt. That's good. That's good. That. Give me a hunting scenario with the the flapping Canada goose. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, you know, you watch them. They don't they don't generate the speed of wing beat like a like a duck does. So I could see maybe yeah. one reason they don't like the spinners. Honestly, the, the the best part about our flapper for geese to me is that it is your flag. It's your goose flag, mm-hmm. but it's away from your blinds. Okay, right? It's out in the decoys. So when you're flagging geese and attracting geese. Rather than drawing their attention to your blinds, where you're hiding, that's the one spot you don't want them looking the whole time. Now you're drawing the attention out into the spread, away from, away from the hide, okay. and and it's remote controlled, right? So do you use one or do you, do people couple, just a couple? I, okay. I tend to I tend to put two out if I'm goose hunting, and anytime they're either focus on the blinds or too close to the blinds or behind the blinds even, you know, for whatever reason, geese, once they're behind their, your blind, it's a way harder battle Yeah. when they're out in front. For whatever reason, yeah. they just they tend to pick up on something different when they're behind the blinds. Uh, but, uh, you know, hit those flappers on and just draw attention to the spread. And the lessers specifically seem to really like. Do they? Yeah, they, they key in on it more. Or like those kind, really of mid, those kind of mid-sized, like, 
I don't know if you'd call them interiors or whatever the heck you'd call them, but the, those like more mid-sized geese, those uh, you know, like eight to ten pounders. You know, not the big, big geese. They I mean, seem the big, to be the big geese like it too, but those those mid-sized ones hopping around in flocks of twenty, thirty, they they tend to really like it. That's cool. I'm gonna have to take a look at one of those. And the one of the other products that we came out with this year that is to me, it's one of those. It's kind of what I was talking about earlier. It's a technology that's going to make like access easier for people. Now, granted. The affordability aspect is not there on this. Is our new Isex, which is a ice eater product, oh. but um, it floats. Oh, and it's lightweight, and so rather than s- sucking that thing up out of the mud every time you're done or every time you want to reposition it and having to get shoulder deep down in the water in the mud, instead it just floats, and it you can throw it in a little you know suitcase generator and a sled and take it anywhere and have a hole ripped open like that i mean we nice. we had we have a drone video of burning burning 11 inches ice in 24 minutes pretty fast with it like pretty effectively got like a hole opened in 24 minutes jeez and uh it's it's one of those products that it, it just makes all of a sudden the ice eater a product you can use anywhere which has not always been the case. Yeah, nothing about an ice eater sounds easy to me, except that that does. Yeah, it's except power, right? But right. still need that yeah. generator. Yeah, or a really long extension cord. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you probably probably not many of us hunting in that situation where the cord's going to reach. So, well, that's good. Well, Sean, I really appreciate it. I, I I love the 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 depth of the conversations that you and I tend to have. And yeah, we have good ones. Yeah, and I appreciate uh, you know reconnecting here at the expo it's it's good to see you and uh, you know you're doing great work there at lucky duck and and uh, you know anybody wants to get a hold of you at, at lucky duck i'm sure there's a, a, a main line there at the office yep yep yeah if you just shoot us a message anywhere online or luckyduck.com or wherever sounds great me. awesome and uh yeah thanks joel i'll i at this point, I'm going to be at every single one of these expos because there's just it's too much fun. There's too many of my friends. There's too many people. It's just awesome. So. Well, Baton Rouge next year. Baton Rouge, here we come. All right. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Take Joel. care.